Our Gospel lesson this morning comes from Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 25-37, through 37, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Listen for what God is placing on our hearts this morning. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all, and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So by now, I'm sure that many, if not most of you, know that the parable of the Good Samaritan is one of my absolute favorite passages from Scripture. For me, it embodies Jesus' Gospel message and demonstrates what our faith should look like as followers of Christ Jesus. That we should see the value in other people. All people and that we should care for them, period. This parable should cause us to think, and more importantly, move to greater action. It should cause us to to think deeply and honestly about our preconceptions. Think about our biases, implicit or otherwise, and about how we live our lives of faith. And it should cause us to move away from fear, away from our own preconceived notions, away from our excuses, and toward a life of greater faith and greater selflessness. This, my friends, is our call as people of faith. Well, like any good parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan is full of lessons to be learned. It is very much like the old metaphor of the onion. Peeling back layer after layer, you will find it filled with great depth and richness. 
And so let us begin examining the parable of the Good Samaritan. A story which teaches us about the fundamental principles of living a life of faith. The passage begins with a lawyer asking Jesus a question, testing Him and effectively working on entrapping or ensnaring Him in some sort of perceived falsehood to discredit Him, discredit him or humiliate Him in front of others. The use of the word test, by the way, is the same term used earlier in Luke 4 when the devil tempts tempts Jesus. Now isn't that interesting? The lawyer is effectively tempting Jesus. The question seems simple enough and is perhaps an age-old question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? If we pause for a moment, we, we might recognize that the question seems to have, have a selfish tone to it. Or perhaps that's how we tend to understand it. Don't we? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Yet Jesus' audience probably didn't hear it the same way. The question about salvation was not about personal salvation as we might hear it. It was about corporate salvation. Or as one commentator puts it, it was Israel's life that was at stake. One did not secure eternal life by oneself. Eternal life in God's presence is only and always a gift from God, not something that humans can demand or achieve. So Jesus flips the question back on the lawyer and asks him, well, what does the law say? What do you read there? Not one to be outmatched, the lawyer's next move is to recite the commandments from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. He responds, he answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. Well, not satisfied, the lawyer persists and follows up his question with another question. So just who is my neighbor? Did you hear that? If you're like me, even after all these years of hearing this parable, you might have missed it. Who is my neighbor? The lawyer's question wasn't an issue of clarification of the law. It was a selfish redefining of what the limits are. See, in his question, the lawyer asked, where's the line? What people can I not include? I'm comfortable with these people. They're like me. But, when, but where can I draw the line and exclude these other people that I can't really stand? But Jesus never puts a qualifier on it. He never sets limits or draws the line. Everyone except these guys over here or the, those guys over there. He doesn't do that. Instead, Jesus sh- shifts into teacher mode. He begins the lesson, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. 
So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now in the cases of these first two characters, the priest and the Levite, they were supposed to be people of great moral and high character. The priest was a religious leader, like a pastor or other clergy person. Someone you could trust to do the right thing and and care for the needs of others. The Levite, similarly, was a leader in the community, a trusted and valued citizen. Yet neither one did the right thing. Now most of us might be willing to give these guys a break. We know that religious law forbade them from touching dead bodies as it would would make them unclean. It's not a far stretch to speculate that these two characters thought this man beaten left uh, for dead was indeed unrighteous to touch. So maybe they had a good reason not to engage this man. But was it really a good reason? Seems like just an excuse if you ask me. I can't help that guy right now. I'm late for work. I can't help that guy right now. I've, I've got an important meeting to go to. I can't help that guy right now. I don't have time today. Sound familiar? So in comes the third character. One of those pesky, hated Samaritans. Interesting side note, Jesus never uses the word or the term good to describe the Samaritan. He just calls him a Samaritan. Yet we as modern readers and hearers are quite accustomed to the implicit bias of the term good. By using the word good as an adjective to describe the Samaritan, we accept the bias that all other Samaritans are bad and that by chance this one man or this man left for dead must have been the luckiest man half dead uh, as the only good one of this breed, this race, this culture happened to walk by him at that very moment in his most needed hour. I have to be honest, as much as I love, love, love this parable, I too fell into this trap. I never once considered how my use of the term good fed into this systemic cycle of bias towards the Samaritan. By accepting the term on one level, we are accepting of the bias that all Samaritans are bad. Jesus knew that there was this bias and prejudice within the Jewish community. And so He played it up for their learning and their benefit. For us, the lesson is that perhaps we too are unaware of our own implicit biases Um, towards others and how often they infiltrate our words, our thoughts, or actions without us even knowing. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. 
Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the lawyer responded, the one who showed him mercy. A few years ago, when I was preparing to preach on this passage, I decided to look at other translations to see if there were any differences that stood out to me and could help me find a new perspective to study this lesson. By the way, that is a great exercise any time any of us study Scripture. Look at different translations to see what subtle and sometimes overt differences there are and see where they might lead you. Sometimes they can lead you to, where, um, to a deeper understanding, and other times it could lead you to a whole different view. One that you may never have considered before. So in doing that, I thought to consider a Spanish translation of this passage. And when I did, it helped me come away with a new perspective. The Spanish translation of love your neighbor is not what I was expecting it to be. The commonly used Mexican Spanish word for neighbor, as I was taught growing up as a kid, is vecino. Vecino is the term we would use to describe the person who lives next to you or across from you or any of those common attributes we would assign to our neighbors. Yet the Spanish translation of love your neighbor or specifically neighbor doesn't use that term. Instead, the translation reads like this, Amarás al Señor tu Dios con todo tu corazón, con todo tu alma, y con todo tu fuerza, y con todo tu mente, y tu prójimo como a ti mismo. The word for neighbor, if you caught that, is prójimo. The word prójimo is derived from the Latin proximus, which is the root for our words approximate and proximity, amongst others which we know to mean something that is relatively close or nearby or near. So if we insert that translation into the understanding of the text, then maybe that gives us a new perspective on who Jesus teaches us is our neighbor. My guess is that most of us no longer consider the notion that our neighbor is confined to just those folks who live in physical proximity to us. The neighbor across the street or the, the neighbor next door or the neighbor behind us, etc., etc. But even still, when we consider that one translation of the word neighbor means a person that is near or close by, then maybe that changes the whole Thing because at any given moment we could and do have different types of people close to us or nearby us. Those people might be the homeless person we drive by on our way to work every morning, or the jerk that cut us off in traffic, or the or the person with the political bumper sticker who offends us. Oh man, I seem to be listing a lot of examples specifically regarding driving to work. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my apologies but you get the idea right loving our neighbor doesn't mean just loving those who live close by to us or even those that we like loving our neighbor is more powerful it means loving 
everybody. No qualifications, no limitations, no exclusions. If we remember the context of this text, Jesus and the 70 find themselves in Samaria, enemy territory. They are in a hostile environment without resources and without the safety and security of the things they know and love. The lawyer knows this. He knows that the Samaritans are the enemy. So when Jesus finishes the parable and asks him him the definitive question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. The lawyer right then realizes that there is no limitation. There is no line. We are to show mercy, show love to everyone. And in my mind, I picture the lawyer as crestfallen or defeated when he answers Jesus. The one who showed him mercy. Almost giving that sense of like, oh man, you know, he tried to pull one over on Jesus, but in doing so, he realized his own sinfulness. Like me, he only wanted to love those who fit neatly into a category of people whom he deemed worthy or acceptable. He didn't want to show love to everyone, especially an enemy or someone different. Because he knew that was entirely too hard. That would mean that he would have to swallow his pride or confront his own biases or let go of what he was taught his whole life. And we all know that change is uncomfortable. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. And so the lesson to be learned is simple in its understanding, yet difficult in its application. Love your neighbor. Love the one who has been placed in your life to be the one closest to you or nearest to you in that moment. Love your neighbor. Love the one whom you can't stand. Love your neighbor. Love the one who comes from a different country of origin. Love your neighbor. Love the one who comes from a different culture than you. Love your neighbor. The one who doesn't share your same beliefs. Love your neighbor. The one who chooses to live their life differently than you. Love your neighbor. The one you have nothing in common with. Love your neighbor. The one who... Love all people. Don't you see? Well, this week we hosted VBS right here. We, we have a couple little uh, mice that are uh, part of VBS that are scurrying around here throughout the service. We hosted VBS here at Christ Our King. And it was a, a fun-filled week full of singing and dancing and storytelling and crafting and games and snacks and faith formation and friendship. 
we had about 60 some odd kids running around energized and excited about learning about God. And they ran us ragged. And it was awesome. Stacy and her team of wonderful, amazing volunteers did an incredible job this week organizing and planning and leading these wonderful children. The overall theme was God is good. And our hope is that they learn that God is indeed good. And that God's love is not limited to one particular demographic or another. God's love is for all people. And that's our charge. To love all people. God doesn't exclude me or you or anyone else from God's love. So why do we do that? Our charge is to love our neighbor as ourselves. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks be to God.